You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Hope you brought a Bible with you. Should probably get something out to take notes with. So I'm going to start a new little series this morning, maybe get a little broken up uh, between uh, Justin may be here. I mean, he says he is going to be here, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just going to say he may be here <clears throat> on uh, October 17th. And then we have Annie coming in uh, toward the end of the month to minister to us again. So anyway, so I'm going to start this today. We're just going to lay a little foundation. We are going to look at some very foundational scriptures. Most of you have probably read those scriptures about a thousand times. But uh, I felt the need as I was studying this to go back. And so I'm going to preface it a little bit. I want to go back and lay foundation today. Um, You know, last week we talked about the culture and the atmosphere that we're living in where there's so much anger and there's so much offense and there's so much fear on all sides of the political and social spectrum. There's so much just angst and anger and, and people you know, outrage has become just cool. I got to be outraged about something if I'm cool, you know, and and all of that is just trash for the believer. It is there. The danger is it is there for us to tap into and to cooperate with the spirits that are behind that. And it will absolutely take us off track. It will, if we give ourselves to that whole flood that's out there and we receive it into our hearts, we participate in it, As important as the various issues are, those attitudes are not ours. And there is a different way that Jesus will deal with those things. And so we have a purpose. And I want to come back to talking about that. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. Mankind has a purpose. We were created with purpose. We were created for partnership with God. We were created to be his stewards in this planet And Jesus, well, throughout the scripture, this idea is taught that mankind was created. We're going to go back to Genesis this morning. Just look at it again. Why were we created? Why are we here? All right, we were created by God's design for God's purposes to be his representatives in this earth. All right. And and the heart of that is to become good stewards over what God puts in our life. And I can think just off the top of my head of at least five passages in the New Testament that specifically deal with the topic of stewardship and what that means. There are, and then there are many that all through the scripture that deal, pretty much the whole scripture that deal with it uh, less directly than that. But we're going to start, and I'm going to have you just go on back to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Hopefully you can find that relatively quickly. First book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, let's just look at a few foundational uh, verses here. And again, so what we're talking, I call this use it or lose it, because in those stewardship um, parables that Jesus taught, that was the message, was some people used well what God gave to them and they were rewarded with more. And those who didn't, even what they had was taken away from them. That's really countercultural. To, for our culture. It's like, oh, well, you can't take what, the, what the, the one that only had one gets it taken away and they give it to the one that has 10. That's exactly what Jesus taught. We'll get into that, not so much today. 
But I, I want us to get the foundation of why we're here. And so uh, you know that Genesis, uh, maybe you don't know, that the book of Genesis, uh, that, that name, Genesis, it means beginnings, right? But it also means source. It means foundation. It's not just that it happened first. It's that the principles that are found within the book of Genesis are carried throughout the rest of Scripture, and they are foundational to all other truth. And so Genesis is really an incredible book. It's not just a set of cool stories to read to children. It's, it's filled uh, with principles that are really foundational and important to us. So we see creation in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. We see God creating everything. And then we come down to verses 26 through 28. And again, I, I know you're probably familiar with these. Let's just hear them with new ears this morning. Um, it says, Then God said, Let us, notice that's plural, make man in our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Uh, make man in our image according to our likeness. What, what this, this terminology means that we are like God and we are a replica. We are, we are like a, it's, it's kind of the idea of if you take out a coin and there's that uh, face on that coin, it looks like the person. We are created to represent God, to look like God, to be like God, to carry his heart. That's why we were made, okay? Let us make man in our image. This is obviously mankind. This becomes clear here. Uh, According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Then God, notice all these thems, all right? He created them. Let them have dominion. Not just men, male and female. God said, let them have dominion. He created them, male and female. Then God blessed them, male and female. And God said to them, male and female, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So just a few uh, thoughts out of this, uh, some of them just to uh, meddle with our society. So we were created in God's image and likeness. We get that. He created, and we'll see this in just a minute. We'll read through some of it. He created male and female man, mankind. He created them initially uh, in, there, there was one body, Adam, all right? And then later we'll see he took, took the female portion out of Adam. It says out of his side, he created this other person to be a perfect match and mate not the same, different, but he created them to come together and together in harmony to represent God and to be his stewards in this earth. So it says he created them male and female. There are only two genders, okay? Doesn't matter, you know, and and let me say on top of that, there are only two genders. There are not 63 That's the way it is. That's the way it will always be. However, there are people who believe there are 63 
And we have the same responsibility to love them and minister to them in whatever form of, uh, you know, lack of knowledge or confusion they might be in. Christians have the responsibility to love people, whether you agree with them or not, whether they're dead wrong about God's reality or not. Our role is to love people to Christ not to condemn people, not to put people down, not to criticize people. It's not our role. And well, they're, they're not loving to me. They're criticizing me. They're attacking me. Yeah, well, Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, if they listen to, your, to my teaching, they'll listen to yours. If they didn't, they won't listen to yours. If they liked me, if they loved me, they'll love you. If they, don't, if they didn't love me, they're not gonna love you. Get over it and recognize not everybody's going to like who you are in Christ. Doesn't matter. You're not going to stand before them in eternity and give an account of your stewardship on this planet. You're going to stand before one person, that is Jesus Christ. But this scripture tells us he made them male and female. Both were blessed. Both were blessed. Both were given dominion. Both were given authority. This idea that floats around the church that uh, women are less than men, that men are supposed to have dominion over women, we never see that idea in the garden, first of all. You can look before the fall of man and you can see some things about God's intentions. He blessed them both. He gave them both the same assignment. He gave them both the same anointing. Where we start to see God announces. In chapter, chapter 3, we see the fall. We see mankind, male and female, choose to believe the lie of the enemy instead of what God had said to them. And we see the fall of man. We see, in the, we see sin and death come into the earth. And God comes and what he does in that passage, and we're not going to read all of it today, but you can go look it up. What he does in that passage is, is he comes back and he responds, he comes into the garden, they're hiding, they've, realized, you know, they, they've been told shame has entered in, they're naked, they're embarrassed, you know. And, and he says, who told you you were naked? You've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to eat of, haven't you? And he comes in, the first thing he does is rebuke that snake who is the devil. Okay. First thing he does is come to their defense. He doesn't attack them. He doesn't curse them. He comes to their defense and he rebukes the devil. All right. That's the first thing he does. Secondly, he begins to announce the result of their fall. They made a choice. Here's another, I can meddle here too. Here's another thing. Um, here's what we see God do. I think this is really good parenting. God creates them for purpose. This is a sidebar on my sidebar, okay? <laughs> God creates them for purpose. He gives them their assignment. He tells them the parameters of it, what, what their assignment is, to have dominion in the earth, to represent him in the earth. Big assignment. But he gives them, makes it real clear what they're supposed to do. He says, there's, there's only one tree. You, you've got everything. You can have everything here. You can eat of everything in this garden. There's just one tree. Don't do it because if you do, 
you're going to die. You're going to die spiritually. It's for their good. He puts up a rule. Okay, and, and that's good parenting. He says, he says, look, don't play in the street because if you do, you're going to die. You're going to end up, remember that cartoon where, where the, the mouse was flat? That's how you're going to end up. You, you guys might not do it that way. But, but you know what I'm saying? He gives the parameters. He tells them what's going to happen if they disobey, but he gives them the freedom to do it. Now, these were adults. These weren't one and a half years, year olds that he was in the grocery store trying to reason with, okay? But um, he gives them all of that. And then when, this, when, they, when they violate that and they choose to believe the lie rather than what God had said when they go there, then he begins to announce, okay, here's the consequence. I told you this was going to happen. Now I'm going to explain it to you. It's not that he got mad. I think a lot of people think this. They think they blew it. God got mad and he threw this curse on him. He just, he didn't. He just announced, okay, here's what death looks like. Okay. And he talks to, he talks to him. He, he says, the ground's not going to bring forth fruit like I designed it to do. It's not going to work the way I designed it to work. It's going to be hard. He tells Adam, it's going to be really hard. You're, you're going to now, you're still going to bring forth stuff, but it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard. He tells Eve, bring it forth children, bring it forth life in this situation is going to be really hard. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to hurt. You can still do it, but it's going to hurt. And I never intended that. All right? And that's true across the board. Bringing forth life, even the life of God, is a battle in this, in this earth still, because we're redeemed, but the planet's still under this curse. So he announces the curse. He, he, he curses the snake, but he doesn't curse them. He announces the curse. But so, so he goes from, here's who you are, you know, to here's your assignment. Here are the parameters. Don't violate this. If you violate this, this is what's going to happen. Then when they do violate it, he doesn't say, okay, uh, at King's X, wipe it out. We're just going to set you back. We're just going to back it up. We're just going to hit rewind, back it up. No, he lets them experience, and all of us experience, the result of what happened. Why is that? I, I believe it's because God loves two things. He loves relationship. He didn't create us to be robots. He did not create us to be slaves. He did not create us to to just, uh, for him to just run his will through us without having any choice. He loves relationship. He loves to love us and loves us to love him. He loves us to walk with him because we love him and because we know he's so awesome. And he loves freedom. And God, it was worth the risk. Freedom always inherently, there are messes in freedom. There always are. And, and again, on the earth, a lot of times we try and legislate all the messes out. It doesn't work, but we still try to legislate all the messes. Just put more rules in. Just put more rules in. Just regulate people harder and we'll get rid of the mess. No, there are going to be messes no matter what you do, but God loves freedom. I believe God is a freedom guy. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, even with the messes. Okay, so he loves those things, and so he did it this way. And he and he was a he was a good parent. But again, we don't see 
I remember where I was. We don't see this idea of men dominating women until the fall of man. And then God says to Eve, he just tells her, he doesn't say this is, this is a punishment for you. He just says, this is part of the fall. This is part of the result, the, uh, what, what's happening because sin has now entered the earth. He says, because of that, your desire is going to be for your husband and your husband is just going to dominate and rule over you. It's not his will that that happened. He's just saying, this is what's going to happen. And the way we know this is because Jesus didn't live it that way. We get, we get through the whole, there are all kinds of things. This is really not my subject for today. There are all kinds of things in the Old Testament. We do see a real patriarchal system. We do see all of that. But it wasn't the way God designed it. He gave them the same assignment and the same anointing and the same blessing. That was the way God wanted it. And that's the way Jesus lived it. He lived in a culture that was that was very, and I, I don't mean to, well, it was. It was very male-dominated. I, I Some of those terms, anyway, it's the way it was. And so he lived in that culture but he had women on his team. People say, people take like two passages that Paul wrote into specific cultures that we don't even, most, most of us don't even understand the language of. And, and we come up with these ideas that, oh, women can't be in ministry. Women can't talk in the church. Women, well, darn it, I don't feel like ministering to the kids. So I guess it's okay if you minister to children and to other women. But boy, you can't, you, don't you speak to men. We come up with these silly things there were there are several of those names where Paul lists out in the New Testament, he lists out the pastors and the leaders. Several of those names are female names. We just don't know it because they're Greek names. If you want to study this, there this is not my subject for this morning. There are really good books on this out there. Chris Vallotton's book, Fashion to Rain, is a great book. I have, I can recommend a couple of other ones for you if you want to study this out and understand the role of women in the church. My point is just to say, as a social deal, uh, we never see that dominating spirit and that put one below the other spirit until the fall. That's when it shows up. And if you want to argue with that, then argue with the Bible because I'm not going to argue it with you. But I can point you to some people that are a lot smarter than I am and and, uh, have written some really good things about it. Okay, another thing while I'm on this, <laughs> I've heard this that, you know, guys say, well, God put men in charge because Eve blew it. The New Testament puts the responsibility, the greater responsibility on Adam because Eve was deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing when he entered into sin. The New Testament is really clear on that. So don't throw that argument up either. I've just heard that one. So, okay. So later in Genesis 2, 21 and 22, God comes along and like I say, he separates male and female. He makes them two individual beings. And the point was, the intention is that those two come together in marriage and complement each other and together represent the fullness of Christ. And so that tells us a couple more things. Men are different from women. And not all women are super girly and not all men are super macho. I'm not saying that, but we are different. God intended it that way. God separated the two 
in his wisdom. And then we have this incredible ability to come together in a relationship that Jesus says represents his relationship with his church, the marriage relationship, his relationship with his church. And so he separated the two because it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. It is not good for men to be alone. And I, and I know some of us, you know, we've been alone for a long time. We've been this, that, fine. That's good. You might even be happy that it's okay. I'm just saying, leave us alone for a little while and we just get in trouble. It's, it's just, we get in trouble. So anyway, um, so he separated the two. Men and women are supposed to be different. The attempts to make men feminine and make women masculine, they're not from God. And yeah, some women are more, uh, I don't even want to use the term masculine. It's just that they're not super girly. That's cool. Some men are not super macho. That's cool. But this, you know what I'm talking about. This, this attempt to try and blend the two, make them one, uh, that's not, it's, it's just not from God. And there's good reason for us to believe that. There again, uh, it's not our place. Our place is to love people wherever they are, to love people. You don't have to agree. You don't have to support. You have to love. You, have, you just have to love. Okay? So, and then he brings them back. He brings her to him. And, you know, in, in the scripture, it's like, oh, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. If you read that in the Hebrew, it's more like, wow, this is awesome. It really is. In the Hebrew, it's this ex, it's ex, what is it? It's a exclamation. <laughs> it wasn't an exemption. It was, it was an ex something. It's this exclamation. And it is, it's like, wow. And you still see that. It's foundational. Now it's, it's not always a good thing, but there are a lot of times, and I'm saying this in, in a, a holy context, let's keep it there, where men, husbands with their wives, men with women, see them and they go absolutely speechless. How many of you guys have been there? I hope a few of you have. I have. They see, they see them. That's the way when I, we knew each other already, but when God was bringing us together and I walked into the living room, she was visiting her brother and my sister and me. We all live in the same house in Peonia. And when I walked into that room, those blue eyes, I literally turned around, walked back out because it just, it took my breath away. And it's, it's something that that's what happened with Adam when he brought these two. The, what God did there and what he wants to do there is an awesome, holy, spectacular, wonderful thing. And so I, I just encourage you. This is, I mean, this is foundational stuff just to who we are as people in the earth. And all of this is in the context of assignment into the earth. This is how God chose to do it. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. We can begin, I guess, begin there in verse 4. 
it says, this is really interesting. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. The man and the woman in Eden. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains, that would be cultivated plants, were growing on the earth for or because. We get two reasons for this. All right, there were, there were no plants yet for two reasons. Number one, there was no rain yet. Okay, so, so what does that tell us? God is going to wait to bring forth this fruit until he has made the provision to make it grow. He does the same thing in our lives. He does the same thing with our stewardship. He has a calling on our lives. He's leading us into new things. He has more that he wants for us and more that he wants to bring through us. He makes preparation ahead of time with everything that we need. He does remove some things from our life that would complicate matters and, and, and keep us from fulfilling his, his destiny for us. He adds things to our lives. In this case, he's just talking about the plants, just who he is, just in creation. I want, I'm going to have all this fruit come up, but first, number one, there needs to be rain. And number two, there was no human being to cultivate. So he, so it's speaking to us of two things that are needed for us to bring forth fruit and for us to change the environment and, and fulfill stewardship in the earth. One is we need the provision of God. We need to stay sensitive to the provision of God. Secondly, he wasn't going to do it on his own. He was not going to do this on his own. He created people to co-labor with him and bring forth even the natural grain and plants and fruit and all of that in the in the, uh, in the planet he intended for mankind, man, male and female, to have purpose and work, even in the garden. We'll get into this more as we go on into other passages. But, and we've said this before, but it's so true that so many of us have this idea that if God's blessing's on it, I'm not going to have to do anything. The blessed life is just to sit back and receive what God pours out. That's, that's blessing. I don't have any part in it. That's not what we see in the scripture. Here's an example. He intended for work empowered by him. That's why he said, Ugh, now you ate from the tree of knowledge. Good. Now this is going to get really hard. You're still going to do it and you're going to want to work. You're still going to have to find fulfillment that way. But man, it's going to be hard now. It was going to be easy before. Nevertheless, he intended partnership. He intended participation. He intended work. Okay, does that make sense to you? So that was always part of it. When we look at um, Israel moving from the wilderness into the promised land, the wilderness consisted of God giving them food, giving them water to drink, They didn't really participate in any of that. They just received the promised land. They had to start planting and sowing and reaping and and building and and fighting and all of that. That was the promised land, okay? So God's always intended for this participation. So it says here, there was no human being, no person uh, to till the ground, all right? So that, that word cultivate. It's translated a lot of times in the scripture as till the ground, okay? But it has the idea, two ideas are contained in that word. One is the idea of service to someone. So it is 
cooperation with God, it's, it's work, it's effort, it's doing, but it's all done in, uh, in service to the Lord. Our work life, our putting ourselves into relationships, everything that we put out is supposed to be done in service to the Lord. And secondly, it has the idea of craftsmanship or artisanship. It often speaks of some kind of creative work. So God created us for, with these two, this two-pronged aspect of stewardship. We are to use the creativity that God put in us. And that doesn't mean everybody's an artist. We're all different, right? But there's something creative. There's something builder. There's something of increase on the inside of you. And we are to be using that to, to be creative, to make things. We have this innate desire to make things better, to make things more beautiful, to make things more, sometimes it's more utilitarian, more useful, but it's a creative juice that flows through us. And that is supposed to be a part of our stewardship of whatever God puts in our life. Whatever you do in the way of vocation, whatever you do with your family, whatever you do uh, in ministry, whatever you do in your own personal growth, there should there is a creativity part of God that is in you to make things better and to make things grow. And then all of that is to be done in service to God. There is a desire on the inside of us to, to serve God, okay? Um, Look down, if you're there in Genesis 2, I don't have this on the screen for you. Look down at verse 15. Verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and keep it. All right, to tend it and keep it. And God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. So he says, it says the purpose for mankind being put in the garden was to tend it and keep it. Tend is the same word we just looked at, cultivate. Uh, so the same word we just look at. Keep tells us the second part of our stewardship. Are you with me? Are you, you going to? Okay, to tend it and keep it. Okay, that word keep means to carefully watch over in order to preserve the nature of. Carefully watch over in order to preserve the nature of something. So think about what we're saying. The garden before the fall was God's intention in the earth. It was God's, it was blessed, it was fruitful, it was awesome. And God put man there partly to preserve that nature, to preserve the the thumbprint of God on that creation. And that's, that's a part of our, our stewardship is that, well, let me just finish this. Uh, this word keep means to protect, okay? And again, it's all done in service to God as the owner of everything. But here's what that means. That means if we're going to preserve the nature of things, that means, I mean, we'll just give a few examples. When we go to work, we want to guard over our part of that to keep the imprint of God on it. We want God's nature to be represented in what we do, in the creativity, in the choices, in our words, in the relationships, in what is produced. We have the ability to make anything that we do through this stewardship, we can keep it 
holy unto God. It is in service to him. Holy means it is separate to him. My work life, my marriage, my relationship with my children, my choices in society, the way that I live, the way I handle the body God has given me, the way that I handle my neighbors and my friends, the way that I interact with the community, all are to be done as stewards of God's kingdom. They are to be done in reference to him. They are in my heart. Okay, I can't change everything outward, but my interaction is to preserve and bring in and watch over the nature of God. You know, it's the old, what would Jesus do? You know, thing. It's, it's in this situation, how do you want to respond here, Lord? What do you want to bring forth here? When I look at other lives around me that the Lord may bring for me to minister to, is that the question I ask? God, what do you want to do? What do you see in this life? Who did you create this person to be? And how, if you have a a part for me in this, how do I minister into this person's life to preserve what you created, even if I can't see it at all right now? We spend way too much identifying people with what the devil has done in their life and way too little people time in identifying them with what God wants. That takes prayer. That takes some, some time, but it takes a recognition I'm God's steward in this situation. So let me just rattle off a couple of these. We, we only have a little bit of time. So the first, we talk about stewardship. The first principle of stewardship is to recognize uh, the rights and position of the owner. Okay, Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All right, it all belongs to God. That needs to be the foundational tenet of my life. Everything I am, everything I have, it all belongs to God. He has given me a role and that role is called stewardship. It's how I manage what always belongs to God. It always belongs to God. All of this, it is the correct stewardship, is the correct management of what belongs to another. So God gives you a great business and you build that business or, or a ministry or a relationship or whatever, and you're working in that. It never, in your, in your heart, never becomes mine. It was given into my hands to bring God's nature, to bring God's creativity, to serve, to serve God, to serve others. It, I, am, I am here as his representative in everything I do. I think it's hard. I think it's hard for us to keep that mindset because we all have stuff, we all own things. Not that we can't own anything, it's just that we own it in his name. We, it, he really owns it. I've always said you can tell exactly what you really own by what you get to take off the planet. Okay, you can tell just what you own by what you get to take off the planet. Everything else we're stewards of, okay? So that includes this physical body even. We don't take much. Spirit, soul, it's all that goes, okay? And even those belong to him because he bought them. (laughs) Because there's no way around this, is there? Why do you want to own it? I mean, I'm thinking that to myself. Why do you want to own it? Let him own it. Core characteristic of good stewardship, what God is looking for and what we will answer for. Jesus is going to make this really clear. It's faithfulness. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for perfection on our part. 
He's not looking for us to never make a mistake. He's not looking for that. He's looking for faithfulness. That's what Jesus says at, at the end of these stewardship uh, parables. He comes back and for the ones who, who just did the best they could with what he gave to them. Okay? They, they always remembered that he was the owner. They went out and they brought increase with whatever he had given to them. And he comes back and he, he calls them good and faithful servant. Right? Good and faithful servant. Serv- faithfulness. Faithfulness means the quality of being true to one's words or commitments. Okay, when I give my word, faithfulness is a heart quality. Okay, and it says when I give my word or when I make a commitment, I do what I said I'm going to do. That's faithfulness. I do that consistently. Being faithful or being being true to what one has pledged to do or professes to believe. That's faithfulness. Be true to what you said you'd do, what you said you believe. The way that I've always thought of that is, where I see this a lot, is people take a job and they they agree with that employer that, okay, I'll take a job and it's for this much per hour. Okay, What you're saying when you do that is, I will give you an hour's worth of myself for that amount of money. So you're making that commitment when you take the job. So there's no place for going in in a couple of weeks and griping with the other employees that, oh, they don't pay me enough, so I'm not going to really give them. I'm going to, I, instead, I'm going to give them what I think is it, it's worth what they're paying me. They're paying me $15 an hour. Well, $15 isn't worth very much to me, so I'm only going to give them what I think is $15 worth of me. It's not what you said. The commitment you made to that employer was, I will give you an hour's work for X amount of dollars. God blesses faithfulness. If you will be faithful to that commitment, God will bring promotion. And if, if they're not going to do it, he'll move you somewhere else, but be sure it's him moving you. Do it with integrity. If you're going to move on, if you get in their ways and you find out this isn't working, then you can give notice. You can be upfront. You can work hard to the very last minute that you've committed to work. You can live with integrity. God blesses that stuff. And it's fading in our culture, those kinds of things. And God's people are just missing God's blessing. God blesses that stuff. Well, I don't think, doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't. God blesses faithfulness. So if you want to, if you don't care about getting the blessing of God and you just want what you can do, then don't worry about faithfulness. But if you want, you know, all of these places, how we handle goods, how we handle, you know, another part of, of stewardship is that we handle, Jesus brings this out really clearly, we, we take care of what belongs to somebody else just like we would if it was our own. So what do we do with a rental car? What do we do with an apartment that we're renting as opposed to if we had our own? What do we do with a job that's a, a business that belongs to somebody else? I'm just working here. How do you approach that? What from the inside, what character qualities do you bring to that job? If you want God's blessing and God's promotion and God's appreciation, he uses all of those things 
man, I'm getting weeks ahead of myself here. If he uses all of those things, and he, he says, Jesus talks about it, he says, hey, if you're not faithful over what belongs to somebody else, who's going to give you, number one, who's going to, oh no, let's start here. He says, if you're not faithful over material stuff, who's going to give you what he calls true riches? So the material stuff isn't true riches to him. The material stuff is the, the, uh, the workplace, the, the, the practice field for true riches. And if we fail here, if we can't be faithful to an employer, he's not going to put us in an influential position with more and more people because we're just going to hurt them and hurt us. He's not doing that because he's mean. He's doing that because he appreciates faithfulness and he knows if you are faithful over this, I'll put you in charge of this because I can trust you to handle this bigger thing in relation to me. I can trust you now. You've proven yourself. I can trust you to bring those same character qualities over here. And you're not going to hurt people. You're not going to mess my people up that I care about so much. And those are true riches, being put in relationship and being put, I'm, I'm late, aren't I? Um, let me just give you a couple more and we'll quit. Okay, I'm just going to read this little list. Okay, so the core characteristic of good stewardship is faithfulness. Faithfulness also means lasting loyalty and trustworthiness. Lasting loyalty. Man, think about that one. And trustworthiness. The quality of being dedicated and steadfast in the performance of a duty. Dedicated and steadfast in the performance of the duty. A continually firm adherence to promises, again, or performance of duty, it's to be conscientious, all right? And I'll just, I'll, I'll cut it right here. Stewardship is always a position of delegated authority. It's always a position of delegated responsibility. It's always a position of service, but it's, it's done through delegated authority. And whatever I'm being a steward over, I can use, when I'm being a good steward, I can count on bringing God's authority in to bring protection, to bring nurturing, to bring creativity into that situation. And we'll dig that out a little more as we go on with this. Did you get anything out of this today? Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. All right, Father, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much for putting up with all of us. And God, we just, we thank you, Father, for this truth. And Lord, all of us have areas in our life that you have given us the stewardship management over. I ask you to help us, give us clarity, Holy Spirit, so that we can see these things more clearly and see, Lord, how to apply ourselves in these areas. And also, Lord, to understand our foundations, understand our purpose, and Father, to help others reach that same place and to do it with grace and to do it with love. Father, I, I, I thank you for all of that this morning. And Lord, as we go out into this world this week, help us remember we are stewards. We are doing what we do unto you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We will say this on the count of three, that Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. I hope you're all back here at six o'clock and bring somebody with you. It's going to be an awesome night of worship together. So, all right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. 
you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.